also excited because we're kicking off a brand new series today called A Game Plan for Life. If you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on, because some of you use smartphones and iPads as your Bible, and go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, whether you've been in the Bible for a long time or you're brand new to the Bible, uh, Genesis 1-1, that's the first book of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, first verse of the Bible, so it shouldn't be all that hard to find. And then also, if you will reach inside of your worship bulletin and take out your message notes, the scriptures for today's message, is, uh, they're, they're all printed there in the notes for you, and also uh, they'll be on the screens behind me. And uh, while you're doing that, let me say this. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible of your own, we'd love to give you one. And so on your way out today, if you'll just go by the information table, there are stacks of Bibles literally at both ends. Just pick one up. It's free to you. Won't cost you a thing. And then um, also, if you are a first-time guest with us, make sure that you pick up a copy of our book, Unshakable, Standing Strong When Things Go Wrong. We get really good feedback on that book. Today, as we kick off this new series, we're going to start with a message that I'm just calling Fundamentals. Fundamentals. How many Green Bay Packers fans do we have here? John, I knew we would have at least one today, but I know there are others. Mac, where are you at? There you are. There you are. So Green, Green Bay is in the house. So you guys have heard of Vince Lombardi, right? How many, of, how many of you that are not Green Bay fans, you know who Vince Lombardi is? Yeah, yeah, he's... Uh, uh, the legendary coach, he took the Green Bay Packers to five world championships in only seven years, including the first two Super Bowls. Just a phenomenal coach, and again, you know, a legend. Every year when his veteran players would return uh, and report for uh, camp or for the team, I don't even know if they had uh, camp back then, but whenever the veteran players would return uh, to the team, to the office, to get ready for the following season, Vince Lombardi would start every practice every year by saying to his, again, veterans, multiple champions, men, this is a football. And maybe the first year or two, they thought, this guy's crazy. We know it's a football. But what they began to understand is that what Lombardi was saying is, this is not going to be about gadget plays and trickery. We're going to stick with the basics. This is about the fundamentals. Well, today we're going to start a game plan for life by talking about the fundamentals. And here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you five fundamental truths about God. And here's why I think this is important. There are at least two game plans for your life. I want you to think about this. Two game plans for your life. At least two. You have a game plan for your life, and God has a game plan for your life. And the most important decision that you will ever make in your life is the decision to decide whose plan you're going to follow. Are you going to follow your plan or are you going to follow God's plan? Here's what I think the struggle for many of us is when it comes to God's plan. Most of us just don't know enough about God. Like, it's almost that God is a, a character 
um, a legend that's not real. L- like he, he's um, just a made-up figment of someone's imagination. And I know that maybe it sounds terrible to, to hear that, but I, I, I think it's true. I think we just don't know enough about God. And part of the reason that I say that is because so many of us don't live like there's a God or we live like we're God, or we live like we're in control, or we're living by our plan, we're calling the shots. And the second reason I'm going to be talking about these fundamental basic truths about God is because if we were being honest, most of us would have to admit that there are times in our lives, even for those of us who are Christians, where we think, Is this really true? Is there really a God? I mean, can I really believe the Bible? Can I really believe in God? And so we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to learn some fundamental truths about God. So if you have your notes out, you're um, ready to go, write these things down. If you're not taking notes, write these things down. Anyway, you guys ready to go? Now, now let, me, let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer right up front because it's going to be important, especially if you're looking at your notes and you're following through because there's a lot of fill in the blanks today, Betty. I'm going to spend a lot of time with this first truth because it's, it's so important. So I just don't want you to be discouraged when you look down and you think, oh my gosh, he's been talking about this for 15 minutes and there are still like eight blanks to go. We're going to be here till two o'clock. It's not going to be like that, I promise. But I'm going to spend a lot of time with the first fundamental truth. And here it is. If you have your notes, write this down. God created us. Sounds pretty basic, right? But God created us. And this is the, the most important fundamental truth in the entire world, listen, not just in the Bible, Brian, not, not just in the Bible, not just in the church world, not just for Christians, this is the most important truth for everyone, everything, and I mean everything, rest on this fundamental truth that God created us. Let's look at our verse for this morning, and I know you guys are used to me looking at a chunk of verses. We're going to look at different verses throughout the message, but only one verse today, and by the way, this is our memory verse for this week. I, I hope that you'll really uh, commit yourself to learning this verse if you don't already have it committed to memory. But here it is, Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to read that aloud with me. Are you ready? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One more time, but twice as loud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is important for a couple of reasons. One is that we no longer live in a world where people just assume the existence of God. In fact, at least 25% of Americans, one out of every four, says that there is no God. And three out of every four Americans, 75% says there may be a God, but I don't think that you can prove that there is a God. 
It's important. But it's also important because the fact that God is real and that he is our creator and whether you believe that or you don't believe that, it determines what you think about life. It, it determines how you approach life. It, it determines how you live your life every day. See, many of us live as practical atheists in the world. We say we believe in God, but we just don't live like we believe in God. And what you believe about God and whether or not God is real, and if he created the universe or not, it determines where you are headed in life and in eternity. This is so important. I know at times this might sound a little bit like a lecture, and I don't, I don't mean for it to, but sometimes I preach, sometimes I teach, sometimes I lecture, and sometimes I cry. But, and I ramble at times, too but not going to do that today. In philosophy, in religion, and in science, listen to me, there are three basic answers to the question of man's existence and the creation of the universe. Three, and only three. Doesn't matter what the religion is, doesn't matter if we're talking about behavioralism, if we're talking about atheism, uh, you fill in the blank. Buddhism, Christianity, whatever the brand might be, there are only three basic answers to the question of where did the universe come from? How did you and I get here? First of all, you do know we're here, right? Can we just agree on that fact? If you need to, Alma, just reach over and touch Dwayne. And, he's there. Dwayne, touch Alma back, but be nice. Okay, she's there. We're here. There is a universe. There are people in the universe. We, we are living. But where did it come from? Where did the universe come from? Where did you and I come from? Here's the first basic answer. You've got this in your notes. The first basic answer is that everything came from nothing. The first basic answer is that everything came from nothing. Now, to accept this answer, you have to believe that literally, in the beginning, there was nothing. No energy, no motion, no matter, and there was certainly no personality, which means there was no God, which means there was no creator. There was simply nothing. Here's the problem with this. The problem is the math of it all. Jeremy, you a math guy? I'm okay with math until you start adding letters to it. When you add the alphabet to numbers, I, I struggle. But just regular primary numbers, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with those. Um, one of the first mathematical equations we learn when we're children is zero plus zero equals what? Zero. zero. There are literally no mainline scientists or scholars that hold to this theory. The, the science now is just too far advanced. 
We know we live in a universe that keeps expanding, and that means that it all had to start from something or somewhere. So there had to be something in the beginning. The second basic answer is this, that everything in existence, you, me, the universe, everything, has an impersonal beginning. This means that in the very beginning there was matter, which means there was stuff, dirt, Samson, I, I don't, I don't, maybe a handful, maybe a couple of particles, maybe matter that was just uh, the size of an atom, or, or maybe matter that was the size of the planet. No way to know for sure, but, but this theory says that in the beginning, um, there was matter, there was energy particles, motion, but no personality, which again means that there was no creator. This is where the Big Bang Theory is developed. This is the theory that says that the particles of energy plus motion plus time and chance all banged together and created, by chance, the universe that we live in. So this means that everything is impersonal. Life is just one big ongoing assembly line Nothing is custom made. No one is custom made. Nothing is any more valuable than another thing. If, if you carry this out logically, it means that a puppy is just as valuable as a five-year-old child. And we know that's not true. Now, there might have been times when we would trade our five-year-old in for a puppy, but we know that there's a value difference, right? Right, right, okay. Here's the problem with an impersonal beginning. In this scenario, again, where nothing is personal, there's no answer for the diversity of life. There's no answer for why human beings are different from one another. Come here, Jarvis, if you don't mind, you and your Redskins jersey. You think me and Jarvis are different? I mean, look at all this hair I've got. He doesn't have any. I think that might be the only difference. Okay, he's taller than me. If I'm down on the floor, he's taller. The Big Bang Theory leaves no room for the diversity in life. The color of Jarvis's skin, the color of my skin. The fact that some people have blue eyes, some people have green eyes, other people have brown eyes. The fact that some people like green beans and some people don't like green beans. If there is a beginning without a God, no intelligent creator and designer, you don't get diversity. You get the sameness because in the Big Bang Theory, in an impersonal beginning, that beginning has no interest in there being differences. There's no explanation in the Big Bang Theory for why I have this thumbprint and there is not another person on the globe, Mike, and you know this, there's not another person on the globe with that same fingerprint. Thank you, Jarvis. If the Big Bang Theory is true, how are there differences? Even if you boil it all down to the science of genetic codes and DNA, 
atheist, scientist, pantheist, Hindus, Buddhist, and liberal Christian theologians cannot explain how an impersonal beginning has evolved into the diversity of life that we all know exists. It's obvious to all of us we're different. And here's the third possible answer for the existence of man and the universe. And that is that it all began with a personal beginning. This means that there is a creator. That he is personal and that he is intelligent. This is the only answer that makes sense. That there is a divine creator is not just an answer, but it's the only answer. And listen to me, I realize that this might sound old-fashioned. To some, it might even sound ignorant or just too simple. But what we read in Genesis 1-1 is true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is my phone. This is my phone. I made sure I turned it down so it wouldn't go off in church. But to believe that God did not create the heavens and the earth, but that it just all came into existence by chance would be like finding this iPhone or an iPad on the beach and thinking that somehow it just randomly came into existence and all of the metals and all the basic metals and components that go into making this up. They just formed and came together and became this tablet that has apps in it. And you and I know that's not true, right? But because this is the brainchild of Steve Jobs and he had designers who put this together. There are engineers who figured out the technology of it. There are software companies that have developed the software inside of it called apps. It has a creator, just like you and I have a creator. There is no way to reasonably, logically, or honestly look at the mountains or the seashore or to experience the birth of a child and just believe that it all happened randomly by chance. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's the second fundamental truth that I want you to know about God. God has a plan and purpose for us. God has a plan and a purpose for us. We're not accidental blobs of dying chemicals that have mysteriously evolved from primordial sludge without meaning and purpose. One of the greatest verses in the whole Bible is Genesis 127. Read it with me. I won't ask you to do it but once if you'll read it out loud with me. Here we go. Genesis 127. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The very fact that we have a personal creator who has created us in his own image means that you and I are valuable. Listen, if there's a Big Bang Theory, if that's the way it all happened, then none of us matter. Life is meaningless. But if we have a divine creator, if there is a God, and by the way, 
the longer science goes on, the more research and the more study they do, the more the body of evidence points to the fact that we have a creator who looks a lot like the God that's spoken of in our Bible. If we have a divine creator, that means we do matter. And I'm not asking you to put this into a sociological perspective. I'm asking you to think about this on your own right now where you are and who you are and what you know instinctively as a person. Does the human being sitting next to you have value? Are they important? How do you know that? It's because you just know it. Because inside of us, we all know that we have a divine creator. We all know that there is a God. We are all, as human beings, wanting for something to worship. And when we don't know the true and living God, we'll worship things like science, money, statues, birds, Trees, all sorts of things. Because we know that there is a God and that we matter. And listen, because we have a divine creator who has created us uniquely and personally, it also means that we have a purpose for our lives, that God has a plan for our lives. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna spend a lot of time unpacking God's plan and purposes for our lives. Here's fundamental truth number three. God cares about us. God cares about us. I want you to say that with me. God cares about us. Now, because God is personal, I want you to make this personal. I want you to say, God cares about me. God cares about me. And that's true, he does. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, which means respect him. You know, like my dad loves me. Uh, He's compassionate toward me for the most part. Um, but especially when I fear him, when I revere him. But I can tell you that there were some times, like in my teen years, especially my early teen years, when I didn't have a whole lot of respect for him, or at least I didn't show him a lot of respect, when I really learned what it was about to fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust, that we are temporary. Listen, listen. God knows that we're only human. God knows that we're not perfect. God knows that we make mistakes. God knows us better than anyone. He created us, right? He he knows us better than anyone knows us, even our own selves. Jesus and his disciples were in a boat once on the Sea of Galilee, And a terrible storm came up and the disciples literally thought that they were going to die. Jesus was at the back of the boat taking a nap. And they woke him up asking, don't you care that we're about to drown? 
Have you ever asked God that question? God, don't you care that I'm about to drown in my hurt? God, don't you care that I'm about to drown in this sickness and this disease? God, don't you care that I am drowning in my pain and suffering and my loneliness? Well, the answer is yes, he cares. He cares because he's a loving father. Note, Peter was one of the disciples in that boat that day on the Sea of Galilee. When that whole event was over, because the part I didn't tell you is that Jesus stood up, he rebuked the winds and said, be still, and the storm stopped. So later, the disciples were talking about this, and they, they said, this has to be God. Don't you think that they remembered some lessons from that? Sure they did. And I think that Peter gives us one of those lessons in the book he wrote, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety. Think Peter and the disciples were full of anxiety that day on the Sea of Galilee? Absolutely, they were scared to death. He says, cast all your anxiety, cast all your fear on who? On him. Who is him? Him is Jesus. Why? Because he cares about you. He cares about you. Why is this important in a series called A Game Plan for Life? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when you're considering God's plan and purpose for your life, it's important that you know that God cares about you. It's important that you know that God wants what's best for you. And not only does he want what's best for you, he knows what's best for you. Again, why? Because he created you. And he loves you. Here's fundamental truth number four. God is always near us. God is always near us. A couple of years ago, Karen and I had the opportunity to go to Athens, Greece, where we followed in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And we went to a a place that's called the Areopagus. I won't ask you to say that because I struggle with it as well. Um, But it's near the... Parthenon in Greece. And it was, uh, it's the place, the Areopagus, is the, the famous place where Paul preached one of the great sermons that's recorded in the Bible in Acts 17. Paul had been going all over Athens and he saw that there were statues to gods everywhere. Because the Romans were very religious people. The Greeks were very religious people. And when the Romans took over the world. They just adopted the, the same gods. They created gods of their own. There, there were gods everywhere. And uh, there were temples everywhere. I wish I had time to show you some of the pictures. But it, 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 statues of gods everywhere, including a statue to the unknown god. Here's what the Romans were saying. There must be another God other than the ones we're worshiping because really these gods are only statues. They might not admit that, but they knew that. They knew that there had to be another God. You know why they knew that? Because as human beings, we know that there is a God. 
I don't care who you are. Even if you came in this morning and you're an atheist and you could just argue that with me tooth and nail that you're an atheist, I would say that you worship something. I would say that while you feel like you have the answers and even talk like you have all the answers, deep down inside you because you have been created by God, you know that there is something beyond human beings. That's why you can go into caves that are thousands and thousands of years old and you can find cave drawings where people have worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars. Why? Because in the absence of knowing who the true and living God is, we will worship something else because as human beings, we know that there's something else. I want to read just a short excerpt from this sermon because what Paul did is he said um, he was respectful of them, first of all. But he said, see the statue that you have there of the unknown God? I want to tell you who that unknown God is. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and an earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples. See, all of the leaders of Athens and the great philosophers, even many of them who have been followed in the West since the 18th century, were gathered up right here listening. And they're trying to figure out where the universe came from, where did human beings uh, come from. And Paul says, everything in the world was made by the true and living God. And he says, that God doesn't live in temples He's probably pointing right up the hill at the Parthenon, just a fantastic temple to all kinds of gods. And he says, our God doesn't live in a place like that. He's not a God that you can just carve out of wood and put him on a shelf. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all nations throughout the earth. He's talking about the creation of Adam. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. Verse 27, very important. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. He's saying to those philosophers, God has put his fingerprints all over human beings. God has put his fingerprints throughout creation. He's left clues so that people who are searching for truth would be able to find him. Just like some of you came in this morning, you came to church because you're searching for truth. Guess what? God's been searching for you. He's been leaving clues. The clues are all around us. He wants to be found. Last few words. Though he is not far away from any of us. Paul says that God's not living far away from us in a temple in the clouds. He's everywhere. He's available. He's accessible. He's close by. He's near. Right here. And then here's fundamental truth number five. God can handle any situation. 
God can handle any situation in my life. Listen to me. Nothing you face in life is bigger than God. No problem that you face in life is too tough for him. Nothing is beyond his ability. God can help you through any situation, say any, any situation in your life. Look at Matthew 19, 26 there in your notes. It says, Jesus looked at them, the disciples, and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus is saying, there are some things that human beings can't do. For everything else, I can do. I can handle whatever you're facing in life. So let me ask you a question. What are you facing right now that seems impossible in your life? What is it? You don't have to say it out loud. You just think about it. What impossible situation are you facing in your life right now? What's the mountain in your life that needs to be moved? Maybe someone has moved out of your life, but you need him or her to move back in your life. Maybe you're facing bankruptcy. Whatever it is, nothing is impossible with God In Jeremiah 32, 27, God says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? It's like God is saying to his people then and now, you just try and think of something that I can't do. Because there is nothing. Here's another verse, Ephesians 3, 20. It says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will supply all your needs. How many of your needs? All of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, knowing these promises is important. Because I believe that over the next few weeks and months, God is going to challenge us as individuals and as a church to do things that, humanly speaking, they seem impossible. He's going to challenge us to follow his plan and live out his purposes in the world. He's going to challenge us to dream bigger dreams for his kingdom. So we have to remember that nothing is impossible with God We have to remember that nothing is too hard for him. We have to remember that God will supply all of our needs. Nothing is impossible with God. These are the fundamental truths that you can believe in and you can build your life upon. God is our creator He has a purpose and a plan for our lives. God cares about us. God is near to us, and he can handle any situation that we face in our lives. And you know what? This this is what is just crazy outrageous to me. This God that we're talking about here in this book, 
our creator, all-powerful God, wants to have a relationship with us. If you've never taken the opportunity to meet God, why not do it today? Why not meet him right now? Let's pray together. God, first, I want to thank you for this incredible creation that you've made, especially here in the Carolinas where the beauty of your creation is just all around us. When we look at the mountains, the ocean, or count the stars at night in the heavens, we can see your fingerprints all over them. These things point to you. Thank you that we live, uh, get to live in this great place. Thank you for creating such a great place for us. Most of all, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to live and die for us so that our sins can be forgiven so that we can live forever with you. And Father, I pray that if anyone here does not know you personally through Jesus, that right now in this moment, in repentance of sins and faith, that they will reach out to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. I'd also like to ask you that in the weeks to come that you would give us strength and courage to take next steps of faith as we do our best to follow you. We pray in the great name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Those who agreed said, amen. Before we stand, sing, and dismiss, I want to ask you to take some next steps this morning. You can see them there on your message notes. You get to take this home with you. First, I want to ask you to memorize Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then I want to challenge you to be here every week, as much as you can during the series, because it, it's such an important series, and I just want you to be here. And then the other thing I want to ask you to do is to read the Gospel of John, chapter 1 every day this week. Let's stand together. We're going to close our service this morning by singing Hosanna. And uh, it's a powerful song. Listen, let, let me tell you guys, I know that a lot of people, when it comes to the end of the service, they think, well, this, this song is just sort of tacked on the end. But listen, a song like this is made to give us an opportunity to sing and praise to God. It's in response to what we've heard, what we've learned, what we've experienced. So this morning, let's sing, and I mean really sing out, and uh, then we'll be dismissed. I love you guys. Have a great week. Go Panthers. Go Panthers.